Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pages of HR. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor for HR Daily Advisor. This podcast provides insightful conversations about HR-related books and the authors who create them. By the end of these conversations, we hope you'll have actionable insights for your business, best practices to tap, and most importantly, new information to ponder. I'm totally excited about today's episode. It's all about the new rules of work. And as we all know, the COVID-19 pandemic has completely disrupted the way we work. And the last two years have been a major change for not only employees, but also HR leaders and organizations in ways that we've never imagined. I'm pleased to be joined by Catherine Minshew, CEO and co-founder of job search and career advice site, The Muse, as well as co-author of The New Rules of Work, The Modern Playbook to Navigating Your Career. Through quick exercises and structured tips, this book aims to help you learn everything you need to know to find your direction, land a job you love, and succeed at the career you've always wanted. Whether you're starting out new in your career, looking to advance, navigating a mid-career shift, or anywhere in between, this is the book you need to thrive in the new world of work. Catherine, welcome to Pages. How are you? Uh, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's dive right into it. So the new rules of work, can you tell me what was the inspiration uh, behind you and your co-author, of course, creating this timely book? Yeah, we really decided to write it when The Muse started getting a lot of questions. And The Muse is, of course, the the company that I started a few years before writing this book. Um, The idea behind The Muse was to help people navigate their careers, give them the advice, the guidance, and the insight to make better career decisions and really connect them with companies where they would stay and be happy and be engaged. And so we had a lot of career advice on themuse.com, but we started getting a lot of questions from users. I want to go from A to Z. You know, I want something that's deeper. I want something that's more meaty. And so we started talking about potentially writing a book. You know, it's, it's really interesting having gone through the process of creating the new rules of work and then the book because it was very informed by everything that I've done with the muse and the career advice on themuse.com, but it also had, you know, a life of its own in certain ways. And it really allowed Alex, my co-author and I, um, it allowed us to, to really say if we were going to construct a narrative arc from that first moment of asking a question about what you should do in your career all the way through finding the right job, interviewing, onboarding, and and kind of moving on up. How would we structure it? What would we focus on? So it's a really fascinating process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's completely wonderful. How long uh, did it take you from idea to, I guess you could say, final draft to uh, come up with this? Oh, my goodness. Uh, probably, Probably about a year to write the book. But before that, there was at least six, maybe nine months of putting together a really detailed 60 page proposal. Um, Alex and I, you know, we wrote, I think two or three sample chapters. We wrote kind of short summaries of every single chapter in the book. And we also write, we had the benefit of at that point, a couple of years of running the muse. And, you know, today there are on average, like six to 8 million people every month who are coming to the muse to get career advice. Back then it was probably more like one to 2 million, but it was still like we were, we, we just were able to start, I think from such a great base. We knew what questions job seekers were asking um, in the book. Alex and I were able to quote 
a lot of our career experts and career coaches from the Muse. So, you know, I think 90% of the book is new content, but we did find in a couple cases that we just had like the perfect example or the perfect letter on the muse.com already. And so we were able to, you know, leverage some of those to kind of help speed us along. Absolutely. Uh, that's fantastic. And I love it. Of course, I've, I've delved into it myself. And I love how you guys talked about how people uh, aren't discovering and applying. applying. I'm sorry, I get excited. I have to slow down. They aren't discovering and applying for jobs the same way. And employees aren't finding and evaluating applicants the same way either. And you throw in COVID and it's a complete wrench. Yeah. It's really fascinating to me just how much has changed in the last you know, 18 to 24 months. And I think that while uh, there have been a lot of really unpleasant and unexpected changes that the pandemic has caused, I also think that there are going to be some really positive long-term consequences. For example, I love that companies um, had to think about their culture and their values separate from their physical office locations. You know, I've always been saying for years that culture is not a ping pong table, but it really took, you know, forcing us all into remote work for a lot of companies to realize, well, even if we're not physically congregating in the same space, we still have a culture. We have values. We have the ethos and the way that our company functions. And I think that we've made a lot of progress, um, you know, within HR and talent in articulating that. I think candidates have, frankly, they've raised the bar on what they expect from employers. And we're certainly seeing with the great resignation that a lot of talent uh, is being pickier. And so, you know, it's so fascinating to me because, you know, if you if you open my book, a big part of what uh, I was writing about back in 2017 was the importance of starting for an individual with, um, you know, with the question, what do I value? What matters to me? What do I want to prioritize in this next phase of my career? And, you know, we saw people doing that back in 2017, but we are definitely seeing a lot of people doing that now. Yes, absolutely. I love two things here. Uh, you, um, talking about one about COVID and the shift of culture. It isn't just tied to an actual tangible space. Culture is whatever you make it and however you want to make it. But also people really taking the time to value what's important to them. You know, their work-life balance, you know, their puppies. I know this is <laughs> my life, you know, their children, whatever it may be. But this complete disruption has really put to forefront what's really important to people. And of course, yeah. like you said, we're seeing that with the great resonation, which of course we're gonna get into as well because you have that um, section as well, the new rules of hiring recruiting and the great resonation is too, as well. Yes, absolutely. And I think to, you know, just to what you said about people recognizing their priorities, you know, I think that for a long time, we all operated under the assumption that there was such thing as, you know, the best place to work. And that every company could be rated with a number on the same scale. Yeah. But I don't really think that's true at all. In fact, I think that the relationship between a company and an employee is more like, you know, a, a relationship between two people. Like what you want in a friend or a partner, you know, or a husband or a wife, it, it really it depends on what your values are, what your priorities are. And I actually love that we're moving away from this idea of the one size fits all workplace. You know, what is the best place to work in New York City or Austin, Texas or whatever? And more towards people saying, well, what matters to me? And I actually think that's great news for an employer because it's much 
you're much more able to effectively compete if what you have to figure out is how you can be the best you instead of having to be the best sort of arbitrary, you know, someone else's idea of what of what the kind of best company to work for is. Um, I like to joke, it's it's just as silly as if magazines published, you know, the 50 best people to marry in Boston. Yeah. Like, what? No, it's so much more personal than that. And, um, you know, I think we're really entering a new era. Absolutely. And last thing, I swear we're going to move on about your book. <laughs> the time is what you said. Uh, it's, it's a great time for employees and or employers and organizations as well, because organizations now have a chance to truly show who they are, to redefine themselves, to step outside of those boxes and bleed outside the lines and honestly become whoever they want to and to align their, align their values, if you will, with their mission, whether it's redefined or whatever, but it's, it's a great time for everyone. It really is. And we're seeing it play out in better retention too, which I think is so great. You know, when you have that alignment, people are more likely to stay. So we can talk more about all this, but I, I love how on the same page we are. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Uh, and, and that just lets, a know, lets me know, us know, our listeners as well, that we're moving in the right direction. So that's phenomenal. Now you have prepared an excerpt. Is that correct? Yes, I have. All right. So I, I considered a few different passages, but um, I actually picked one that is very on point with what we were just discussing. <laughs> and uh, and it starts with, shall I just dive in and read it? Please, whenever you're ready. Absolutely. Okay, great. So unlike the generation before, most professionals now change jobs and even careers every couple of years. But with this expanded set of options comes the opportunity to find not just a good on paper job, but a job that's the perfect fit for you. Today, you're able to weigh your choices, not just in terms of the work itself, though that's important too, but also in terms of many other factors that have just as much, if not more, impact on your day-to-day -day job satisfaction. You can and should, for example, factor in a company's culture and mission and whether that aligns with your priorities and values. You can and should take into account workplace culture, flexibility of hours, and opportunities for learning. For you have your own dreams, needs, and motivations. And as you'll learn later in the book, Finding a job or career path that best aligns with them will not only make you much happier getting up to go to work in the morning, but also help you thrive once you get here. So that's, I, I kept it short, although I have a couple other sections if we want to go deeper. Um, but, you know, it's, it's so much of what we were talking about, this idea that it's by self-awareness and self-knowledge mm -hmm. that uh, you are most likely to find that right long-term fit. It goes way beyond just title and compensation. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, people are, are really waking up to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for reading that excerpt as well. It was wonderful. What I love about this book as well, uh, it's full of quick exercises and structured tips. So readers can learn about the new rules of finding the right path, uh, the new rules for landing the perfect job, uh, the new rules for growing and advancing in your career, Ship shock, the phenomenon of employees jumping ship quickly, uh, which we're again seeing a lot about, right? After joining when they're surprised at how a job doesn't meet their expectations. And of course, my favorite right now, the new rules of hiring, recruiting, and the great resignation. Could you talk a little bit about that, please, and some of the tips and examples yeah. that you provided? So I think that, um, you know, we are seeing the 
interview continually become more of a two-way street. Yes. In the past, it might have just been the employer asking questions of the candidate. But now we're seeing that candidates are turning that around and asking a lot of questions of employers as well. And so, you know, I think that, um, first of all, a lot of our advice for candidates is um, around researching the company, making sure that you're up to date on big moves in the industry. Uh, ideally, if you have the ability to research the people that uh, you'll be meeting ahead of time. I also love to recommend that uh, candidates actually download the job description um, that they've applied to and highlight key skills or experiences or qualities that appear in the job description. And then think about how you might be able to weave in stories or anecdotes in the interview that highlight that you have those skills or you are kind of well positioned to solve those challenges. Um, I also think that, you know, while I'm a big supporter of the, uh, the, the candidates having more power in the relationship, there's also a lot in the book about how to make sure that you don't come off as entitled or demanding, because that is not something that a lot of employers are looking for. And so, you know, we recommend a lot of interview questions that a candidate can ask an employer to learn more about the company's values or culture, to ask about their commitment to inclusion and diversity and equity, and to do so in a way that, you know, helps them learn more about whether this company is a good fit um, and, and, you know, and other ways, frankly, of getting that information or researching a company other than just asking questions in the interview. So um, it's, you know, I think we're going to continue to see a lot of evolution. It also, frankly, is harder for some people to get a sense for a company's culture and values when they don't have the opportunity to go into the office and meet a lot of their coworkers in person. So that is why we're talking a lot about shift shock, as you said, which is this, you know, it's, it's a, frankly, it's a very relatable phenomenon. So many people have experienced it. I think over half of Americans told us recently that they have experienced it. And it's the phenomenon of showing up at a new job and it is nothing like you expected. And this is a real problem for job seekers who end up often disappointed, disengaged, frustrated. But frankly, it's a real problem for employers as well, because a lot of these candidates are going to leave. A lot of these new hires, even if they don't leave, you may not have their full dedication and commitment because they feel misled. And so um, I think it's a, a huge focus of, you know, what I'm trying to do with my platform and what we're trying to do with the Muse is to reduce or erase shift shock so that candidates have a more accurate understanding. They're opting in with their eyes wide open and companies are getting people who say, yes, I'm glad I took this job and I'm committed to it, um, which I think is exactly what you want, you know, in your team. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Namely. The last few years have changed the way we work forever, and 2022 will be no exception. That's why you need Namely, the all-in-one HR solution that offers everything you need so you can meet the new HR trends of 2022 head-on. Whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, Namely helps you easily adapt to the ever-changing workplace with onboarding, performance management, payroll, and intuitive benefits enrollment, all on one connected platform. This new year, don't just keep up, get ahead. Learn more about making the switch to Namely today at Namely.com. Don't wait, that's Namely.com. Staying on ShiftShock, can you give an example or two about how organizations can prevent this from happening at their company? Any quick tips there? Yes, absolutely. So 
I think to prevent shift shock, you have to, first of all, understand what are some of the more challenging aspects of your company. And I'm going to be honest, like every company has them. It doesn't even mean something's quote unquote bad or wrong. It's just that every business has challenges. So I actually think step one for an organization that wants to prevent or reduce shift shock is to listen to your current employees and your departing employees. This means doing an engagement survey, ideally one with anonymous uh, feedback so that people can really tell you what they think without worrying about being judged. This means listening to what employees say in exit interviews and um, you know, essentially crafting and, and uncovering a sense of what are the challenges? What are the risks? Um, and then I think as you get to, as you think about structuring your interview process, it is important to be, you know, to be honest. Now, does that mean you have to air all your dirty laundry, you know, day one on your company career site? Of course not. But, you know, if your company is, let's say, uh, maybe more traditional, it has a slower pace of decision-making, it's fairly hierarchical, don't go talking everywhere and blazoning how you're fast moving, innovative. You know, you want to say like, hey, we take our legacy really seriously and we're very thoughtful about the decisions we make. There are ways of communicating things that are true and honest and might not be everybody's cup of tea in a way that helps people self-select in or out because some people are not going to want a more deliberative, contemplative environment. And that's great. You probably shouldn't be hiring them because they're just going to be frustrated. Or if you are, for example, uh, more you know, traditional, uh, we'll just keep on this example. If you're a more deliberative, slower paced, traditional environment, and you're looking to become more fast uh, paced or more experimental, high velocity of change, you can communicate that. You know, We have historically been a business that is more like X. We are very committed right now to becoming more like Y, and we're excited to hire people who are going to help us on that journey. Again, you're not telling someone, we are already at the destination and we're so great, you know, welcome. Um, so I think that there's, there's a lot of things that that can apply to. And I also think as you get closer to the end of the process with candidates, it's a really great opportunity both to invite them to ask questions, but also to say, you know, here are some things about our company and our culture that we, you know, we think it's really useful for people to know. Um, and so, you know, I do this with candidates at the Muse. I've seen companies do it very, very effectively. And again, it's it's just making sure, I think as much as possible, you want to minimize surprises. And, uh, you know, by the way, also asking candidates after they're hired 30 days, 60 days, you know, do you feel like the company culture was as you expected? Were the job responsibilities clearly communicated to you before you joined? That can be really helpful um, in understanding whether your recruiting process is doing a good job versus, you know, again, if you're finding that potentially certain managers are less, less successful, um, this is an important thing to know because having employees who leave after a short period of time or who stay but are very disengaged and frustrated is not doing your business any favors. Absolutely. We have all these people who either have never worked remote before, or we have an entirely new generation in the workforce, right? Already having spent maybe their last year of college online, now they're working online too. So they never, well, as of right now, they they will never know what it's like to work in an office, right? Uh, and I love how in your book, you talk about the new rules of engagement as well. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So I think, you know, first of all, to your point, the ways that companies operate, the way that teams communicate 
is different in a fully remote environment than it is in the office. I think one thing that a lot of people are still working through is that it can be harder to create a sense of community and cohesion. It can be harder to build work relationships, particularly across team boundaries. And frankly, it can be harder sometimes for senior management at a company to really get a pulse on what's happening. You can't walk around the office and see people's faces, watch the dynamics, understand who seems excited and motivated or frustrated and unhappy. You're really much more reliant on reported feedback. And so I think that um, for companies that want to successfully navigate the shift to remote work, I think that, again, continuing to listen to your people, to give them a lot of different opportunities, both direct opportunities for feedback and anonymous or aggregated opportunities for feedback is really important. Um, I also love tools or processes that help connect people on very different teams. So we use something at the Muse called Donut. It's a Slack plugin where every two weeks, um, anyone who's opted in just gets matched with someone else who's opted in. I love this because for example, as the CEO of the Muse, it would not be very easy for me to just pick random employees across the business and invite them for coffee. Someone might ask, well, why did you pick that person and not this person, but having, you know, I participate in this tool and it just gives me a great chance to get to know a lot of different people um, and really hear what's top of mind for them. So, you know, there's a bunch of different uh, tools one can use based on the size of company and your internal culture. But I think really investing in um, that two-way feedback is so, so important because, um, you know, I think it is very, very easy for your employees to go somewhere else if, um, you know, if they don't feel heard and they don't feel respected. And so the more you can understand what's working really well, lean into your strengths and what's not working so well or what's causing challenges. And ideally, you know, prioritize fixing a couple of the most important uh, things there. It goes a long way towards keeping people, you know, just feeling heard. I think this is a great segue into technology in the space too. Can you talk a bit about the role of technology and, and HR management and how does it help please? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, there have been so many incredible advances in HR technology, communications technology, you know, workplace um, kind of task management technology. And I think that on one hand, there, you know, there's so much capability to help people connect and organize projects and communicate and stay on track. And at the same point, I think if you're not really thoughtful in your use of technology, you can end up you can end up taking out some of the magic of the human to human connection. You know, and a perfect example would be that a really kind of thoughtfully de designed uh, applicant tracking and applicant processing system might help you find great candidates that might otherwise, you know, otherwise be overlooked. But a really shoddily designed system could end up excluding a lot of phenomenal people who don't have exactly the right keyword, and it can end up actually reducing your, you know, diversity at a company or reducing the ability of your company to hire really like hardworking, talented people who, you know, who may not have exactly a certain word that's being screened for. So I think the key here with technology is, is you know, thoughtful application and also thinking about what are the things that humans do best and let's, you know, put the human front and center in those areas and what are the things that technology does best and let's outsource to technology. So, you know, I'll give you one, one other example. I think that 
when we as HR leaders or business leaders or you know just really people that care about the future of work, when we think about the right use of technology, I think it is also helpful to ask, you know, for example, um, am, is this process leading to the outcome that I want? Or is this data I'm measuring truly aligned with the, with the outcome that I'm seeking? Um, and, and I'll give you an example of what I mean. You know, I think for a long time, it became very easy for hiring managers and HR leaders to say, oh, well, the goal of my hiring process is to have the cheapest possible apply click number, you know, because that's what technology could measure. It was like, great. Do you want to pay, you know, 35 cents an apply or 34 cents an apply? Like, obviously, if that's the only measure you can track, people are going to go for the cheapest possible click. But when you really step back and say, well, I'm trying to hire, you know, great people that will stay with my organization, that will be successful, you know, is allowing the limits of the data or technology to drive everyone towards like the cheapest possible applicant. Is that the right move? Or is it actually saying, well, of course, we don't want to waste money. Nobody wants to waste money, but we need to look at the quality of the people that we're bringing in or the, you know, the quality of the applicant. I think it's such an exciting thing right now that in a lot of companies, we're starting to be able to connect like pre-hire and post-hire systems. So rather than just saying, you know, how fast can we fill this role or how quickly can we make the hire? There's much more of an awareness of, you know, are we making the right hires in the first place? And I, I really think that um, unfortunately, some of the past focus on just cheapness above all else has actually hurt a lot of companies and some, you know, technology systems from being able to actually focus on delivering a great match or the right person long-term. So I love that, uh, that we're starting to, to change as an industry. I think that's driven by technology, but I do think it's so important to just, you know, be aware of the limitations of the data of the product, because I think the real genius is when you can marry what's best about, you know, what, what people can do and critical thinking and creativity and decision-making with the support of, you know, great, great tech systems that, um, that are part of the process, but don't become the end all be all. Absolutely. Wonderfully said. Uh, what do you hope that the book accomplishes? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I hope that people who are using the book to make career decisions or to make a career change or, or kind of jump in, um, I hope the book helps them realize that they're not alone, that they have a lot of different options and that they are in the driver's seat. It's no longer enough to just you know, step onto like a career treadmill and let it carry you along passively. Like really the, the modern economy it rewards people who are proactive, who figure out what matters to them and what they want and what they can bring to the table. And then, you know, I, I really want the book to help people both understand their own preferences and their own skills and then have the tools to go out and, you know, get that, that next position. Um, I want people to feel supported in their career journey. It's one of the reasons that there's a lot of templates. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, write a thank you note, but like, what might that actually look like? And so I found that some of the most 
some of the notes that have meant the most to me from readers of the book are people who didn't grow up with a very privileged background. They didn't have, you know, an older sibling or a parent who said, oh, do this, say this, don't do that. You know, they had to learn how the workplace operates from uh, observation or from others. And I think um, the book can be a, a really powerful resource. And then finally, um, I, I really hope that people who read it, who are on the other side of the table, who are leaders or hiring managers um, or recruiters, that they recognize that the environment that candidates are operating in is far more complicated than the one in the past that, um, you know, that many candidates are seeking not just a paycheck, um, but something much bigger. And so I hope that it also serves as a window into the Gen Z and millennial perspective um, for those that are looking to hire and recruit them. Because I do think at the end of the day, that we are at such a turning point within the future of HR as an industry, talent as an idea. And I think that uh, there's such opportunity for us to rethink the rules and to create, again, to create systems and expectations and processes that are better for everyone by putting the individual, you know, more at the center of the process and, and helping again to create, you know, matches that last versus just like, oh, I need a job. I got to, you know, I got to make a hire. How do we actually help create a connection or a match that is much, uh, you know, much more long lasting? Much more long lasting. I was going to say efficient, but long lasting. Yeah, I, I like them both. <laughs> like them both. <laughs> better. That's better. Um, so where can our readers buy your book? Uh, where can they find it? You can buy the book at almost any independent bookstore. If you call in advance, they can order you a copy. You can obviously find it on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, most of the big bookstores. But I'm going to give a plug to buy it from your local independent bookstore. Um, I think that or uh, I think it's bookshop.org. You can have it buy it uh, via bookstore and have it mailed to you. I think that's such a such a great way to support small businesses and uh, and your local economy. So it's the new rules of work. And uh, yeah, I absolutely um, encourage people to read it and then tweet at me at, uh, at Kmin, K-M-I-N on Twitter with your thoughts. I'd love, love to hear from folks. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Okay. Another million dollar question for you, uh, but my favorite here. Uh, what does your next chapter look like, Catherine? Ooh, I... I am so excited to be part of rewriting the future of HR and talent. I am uh, very excited right now by some of the things that we're working on with the Muses uh, job search portal. You know, we're about to roll out um, the ability for for job seekers to look for jobs with, you know, fertility benefits. Or uh, today, you can search for jobs with you know, parental leave, tuition reimbursement. Um, you can look for just jobs at, you know, female founded and led companies, black founded or led companies, veteran founded or led companies. We're really digging into a lot of the different attributes that job seekers care about and making it just much more searchable. Um, and I'm really excited by that. And it's been fun talking with a lot of our companies, like what is it they want to put forward and what do they want to be known for and how do we get that in front of job seekers? So, you know, I think... Um, I don't know that I'll have another book in my immediate future. I am writing actually a lot of uh, more short form content that I'll hopefully publish on some of this future of work 
trends um, in the next couple of months. And we're doing a lot of research as well and gathering a lot of data from our users on the Muse about what they care about and what their problems are. And so I'm just, I'm excited to be in the thick of this because I think we have a really, you know, a once in a, in a generation opportunity to make some big changes coming out of the depths of the pandemic. And, um, and I want to be part of, of influencing which way the industry goes. Chills, chills. That was beautiful. Thank you for that. I truly appreciate you taking the time again to converse with me. Thank you so much, Catherine. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. Absolutely. I appreciate it. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in as always. And remember, you can always follow us on Twitter at HR Pages. We're also now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. This is Pages of HR. Join us next time when we turn the page.